0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation podcast network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, Lacrosse is added again with a new line of lace-up hunting boots, the Navigator series. And in that Navigator series there are two models. There's the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. To find out more information about this new Navigator series, visit lacrossefootwear.com.
2: Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, brought to you by Expedition Archery. I'm your host Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 49, where we talk with Ben Katormson on hunting pressured elk. Hello, and thanks again for tuning into the Transition Wild Podcast, the number one source for Western big game hunting. I can't believe we're almost we're almost to the finish line here. Almost at the starting line <laughs> for elk hunting. Or. Uh, just a couple weeks out, can you believe it? It's uh, the summer has flown by and now it's time to to really start to buckle down and and, and a lot of you guys will be heading west soon. And, and if you're headed to Colorado, I think you're in for a treat, as I've stated in some of my previous podcasts and uh, an article I've written, it's just really shaping up to be a, a great year. I'm seeing a ton of elk down low, up high uh it just seems like with all the high country rain and the moisture we've had there's just food everywhere so the elk are just they're out man i just i just i have been seeing a, a lot of elk running around so i i think you guys are really gonna like the way this year unfolds uh speaking of elk hunting i want to talk about bear hunting uh the colorado parks and wildlife for non-residents they've lowered the price of a non-resident bear tag to somewhere around like a hundred bucks. I think it's, it might be like 95, but it's really cheap. So if, if you are, you know, archery elk hunting, um, you know, it's a good way to put some extra meat in the freezer, do your part for some conservation, some, some predator management. And, you know, it's really not a ton of money. So it might be something you look at for, you know, picking up in, in addition to your elk tag. So just kind of a public service announcement there. I'd highly recommend a bear tag. There's there's a lot of them running around and and know that bear meat's pretty good too. All right, I'm not going to waste any time. I want to get into today's podcast because this is a really, really great episode. Um, you may have heard of our guest today. Uh, he's been on a number of podcasts and if you just Google uh, Ben... Uh If you just Google his name, you'll see a ton of pictures <laughs> pop up of giant deer, giant elk, and uh, he's just—he's one of these guys that's just a straight-up killer. And that's why I wanted to have him on the show, just because he just seems like he's consistently getting it done. He. Um, you know, he's out there hitting public land and, and, you know, a lot of over the counter units that, that, you know, you and I are the average guy is, but he just seems to be able to get into a lot of good elk hunting and, you know, we're really just picking his brain today on, you know, what, what his strategy is, what his tactics are, um, you know, different tools that he uses, how he scouts, how he actually goes about hunting, how he tries to find different pockets, all this stuff so it's it's really really good information and it it hopefully will get you pumped up for your hunt here soon uh in in just a matter of a few weeks so i'm not gonna waste any time let's let's not mess around anymore let's get ben gatormson on the line before we begin today's episode is brought to you by expedition archery manufacturer of the world's finest archery experience Expedition bows combine aerospace level quality, innovative designs, and a fluid feel serious hunters demand. Test drive one today at your nearest archery retailer and view their full lineup at expeditionarchery.com. Why settle for status quo when opportunity and adventure awaits? Make your next hunt an expedition. All right, and we're live. Ben contorbson how, how you doing, man?
1: I'm good, man. How are you?
2: Doing well, doing well. How's everything in the land of Montana this summer? What you been up to?
1: It's uh I've been busy. Um we've uh me and my wife had our second child in April. Um I got a two and a half year old that drives me crazy most of the time. <laughs> um it's kinda of like their specialty, their wheelhouse.
2: Oh yeah. And then
1: um trying to juggle all things, work, family, play, everything. So
2: Yeah, and you still got to find some time uh, to get on the mountain.
1: Yeah, and I haven't, I haven't. uh, I mean, usually by this time of year, I got most of my cameras out and stuff like that, and um, I have yet to, yet to do any hiking. So I'm rocking the dad bod this year. (laughs) I'm, uh, I'm getting, getting, getting the sympathy weight off this fall, hopefully. (laughs) You're prepping for late season. uh, Yeah, exactly. Got to stay warm. (laughs) And you know what? It's a great survival kit. Exactly. That, that, exactly. That little bit of a gut, you know, that'll that'll keep you alive for you know more days than a skinny guy in the mountains if okay. you get lost or something. Hey, pro so, tip,
2: pro tip, Ben. There you go. <laughs> now, do you do you run a lot of trail cameras? Usually, is that kind of your your thing? you you got a bunch um, of sites up.
1: It's yeah, it's it's definitely definitely. Um, you know, in Montana, they recently changed the law when it comes to trail cameras during season, and that's really encouraged me to use them more because I, I've i started to see the benefit of them. Um, and, you know, the problem with having multiple trail cameras out is, if they're not legal during season is it's a mad rush to get them all pulled before mm. season starts. Yeah. And... um I mean, that always, that always possesses a problem because it, you know, as, as the season grows closer and closer, people, you know, they run out of time to to get things accomplished and, um, you know, having, having cameras out while you're, you know, hunting, even if it's not in the same area or whatnot, used to be illegal. Now in Montana, you can have cameras out during season. And, you know, that was two years ago, I think they did that. So I've started to use them a lot more and, you know, I've run upwards of ten to fifteen cameras. Um, wow! You know, without without having the you know that that legal you know issue if if one gets left out or two gets left out during the season. So
2: yeah. Now, what's the basis of that? Do you have to like clearly mark your name and maybe your contact info on the camera, or how does that work?
1: No, it it and this this was this was the old law. Um, essentially my interpretation of it was you, you know, and, and based on the verbiage was that you basically, you can run cameras all you want, but once hunting season starts, you have to have them out of the woods. Uh, And recently they kind of went back on that a little bit and now they've removed that, that camera law. So now it's legal to run cameras throughout the season you know they just can't transmit they can't be of the transmitting style that that send images or give email or phone you know updates yeah Sell cameras yeah exactly so got it.
2: yeah uh, i'm in i'm in the same boat i uh <clears throat> i haven't ran too many cam- i haven't ran any cameras <laughs> at all this summer uh at least on public land here i've got actually got a few up at my family at my uh fiance's family ranch uh just to kind of monitor the local elk herd up there but you know usually I'm running a ton of them but with all the projects and stuff I've got going on and just the busy work schedule it's it's just not in the cards this
1: summer I don't think <laughs> yeah it's I've got I mean, a lot of my stuff I mean I can I can you know if I if I spend a day or two um I can get a lot of my stuff out I put a lot of a lot of cameras out for antelope hunting um And then I do, uh, I do several for elk and it's, it's more, what I've learned is that it it gives you a better idea of the quality of bulls that are in the area for that particular year. Um, and I don't know why, I don't know how, but it still escapes me. I never can get pictures of every bull I see. And I'm, I'm, I'm like a. I try to try to take photos of every bull I see when I'm scouting and every bull I see when I'm hunting, you know, everything to try to kind of track, you know, who's there, who's not. And, um, there's always bulls. I'm like, where, where did that bull come from? <laughs> yeah. seen him before, you know? So, and I'm like, I have pictures of this bull all summer long and I don't have any sightings of him since then. And it's like, where did he go? It's amazing, so, isn't it? I mean, there's there's always that mystery. You never know what's going to show up. You never know what's going to stick around. You never know what's going to, you know, walk in front of you when you're you're in a, a particular situation. So, I, I try to just keep my options open, and you know I don't necessarily always target a specific animal. I have a a classification or like an age class that I'm always shooting for if it's a mature, you know, be it a mature six point or or whatnot, and depending on how the season has progressed. Sometimes I'll change that. Like if I have multiple interactions with the same bull, yeah. and uh, you know, don't kill him. And you know, and it just be, kind of comes a challenge. I'm like, well, if I'm interacting with this bull three times a week, or you know, sometimes twice a day, you know, and it's it's like six encounters in. It's like God, you know, <laughs> that'd be a cool that, story. That, that animals provided me a ton of memory and <laughs> and putting that hanging that 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 set of antlers on the wall is always gonna you know remind me of that and you know what the meat is always good so oh yeah yeah (laughs) that's what it's about that's
2: what it's about well i want to i want to jump i want to jump into a ton of elk hunting here and just cover you know public land you know strategy (laughs) really getting in after these bulls on on pressured units but before that i just want a little background on you ben i know you've been on you know some uh um, some podcasts before and people are probably somewhat familiar uh, with you if they've listened to a decent amount of podcasts but give us your background where you're from what you do um, how you got into hunting
1: okay well I grew up in the midwest in uh, in Minnesota and you know grew up grouse hunting duck hunting um, you know deer I did a little bit of bear hunting when I was uh, when I was younger, and. Kind of, you know, anything outdoors, I was big into fishing and everything, and and, uh, that pushed me to, you know, pursue careers in that category, and initially I went to college for wildlife management, stuff like that, and, um, you know, kind of looking at the big picture, I told myself, well, this is a profession that has tons of applicants to very, very few jobs, I mean, the job applicant ratio was sometimes over a hundred people applying for one position. And then let's say you land that position and, and you're working for a state agency and you're making, you know, $25,000 a year. Yeah. Unless you continue on your education and get a doctorate, and, you know, you got to be really well connected to kind of work your way up that ladder. And it's, it would be, it would have been very enjoyable to continue to pursue that. But also, you know, there's, there's things that come into your head. And and, I don't think I've ever talked about this on other podcasts, but when it comes to being able to enjoy what you're doing and live comfortably, kind of go hand in hand. And I tell people all the time that I'm fortunate to be working where I am now because I still get to be involved in outdoors, outdoor products, you know, um, working in the hunting industry. And I'm involved, I'm heavily involved in what I'm passionate about with my work. And it also allows me to make a good living. So, um, and you know, to, to your question, um, I work, I'm a, I'm a sales representative for a large, uh, sales and marketing firm that's based out of the, um, the Ohio, um, area. And we've got, We've got sales representatives all over the country. We've got two different divisions. And um, I was fortunate enough to to kind of work into, into the position I'm in. And, I I mean, I love what I do. And it affords me time of field. That it, you know, I, I know the products in and out. And, I mean, there's nothing more I don't think a guy can ask for. So You got to love but, that. Yeah.
2: I remember talking yeah, to you at the shows. I remember talking to you at the shows this year, and you're like, you know, you kind of, you kind of can set up some of your visits and your sales trips to kind of maybe scoot over on some public land at the end of the week or scout out this area. Well, after, you yeah. Know.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, I'm very fortunate in, in where I live because, um, I mean, I'm I'm in a I'm in a hunter and fisherman's playground. I mean, my yeah. my territory is Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. I have a little bit of western Oregon. I've got. Um, or not Western, excuse me, Eastern Oregon, and then Western North and South Dakota, so I mean, I can drive anywhere in my in my territory in my dirt and and there's something there that you know can be done you know from an outdoor standpoint that is is right up in <laughs> in the category of things that I love to do so oh
2: yeah, oh, yeah. very cool. well, how did you so you first got kind of started? hunting back in the Midwest and, and fishing and kind of growing up in that lifestyle. When did you move to Montana? Was this a number of years ago?
1: Yeah. So I've been in Montana since, uh, the spring of 2007. Oh, wow. Um, and I moved, I moved out here to pursue my, my passion for at the time, kind of my main wheelhouse was I, I love mule deer hunting. Um, and I, I started hunting the Badlands of the Dakotas and put, uh, put quite a bit of time in and, and just loved the openness and how, how unique the terrain is and, uh, you know, every, everything about it. And, you know, I, I would, for, for work, I would, I would get to places like Fargo. Living in Minneapolis, the suburbs of Minneapolis, I would get to places like Fargo and be like, wow, you know, I'd be giddy because I'm only like four and a half or five hours away from, you know, the Badlands. Yeah. No, it's just a it's just a short drive. I mean, it's – and at that point in time, I mean, I don't think I had a girlfriend or anything that was really holding me down in terms <laughs> of home, no, no wife, no kids. And I started kind of talking through my network of friends. Some of them were older, married. Some of them, you know, a lot of them were – You know my age, you know, in my early 20s, and and I kind of said, okay, let's let's start looking at this this opportunity, and um, lo and behold, something something came about in Bozeman. I I had been working, you know, heavily in the archery side of things, working in shops, um, running you know the departments for a sportsman's warehouse at the time, and you know helping do store sets, and they were growing rapidly, and and I fell into a spot where I was able to move to, to Bozeman funded by my, the company I worked for having a job, having the means to, you know, stay in a hotel for a couple of weeks during our store set and find a place to live with like-minded people that were also moving to Bozeman. And I've been here ever since. So, um, it's, uh, it's definitely a changing place here in Bozeman right now, but still, it's still a good place. And, um, I don't know. I'd like to be a little more rural, um than what I am now. I'm kinda right on the outskirts of town, but you know, still in town. I mean I can I can shoot in my backyard my you know, my bow out to about eighty yards, eighty five yards. So I've got that going for me, which is pretty fun. Heck yeah. Um but the the developing around me is encroaching on that and I think it's just a matter of time before that gets
2: shut down so yeah well i've heard i've heard bozeman's just getting crazy uh along with a lot of places in colorado too it's just kind of the the west is 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 getting discovered and people want the beauty and they love that work play lifestyle and and i don't blame them you know we we all transplanted for sure it's just it's just like you said it's growing rapidly exactly so so what uh so what what do you what's on tap for this fall are you are you planning on Doing uh, elk hunting in Montana and and some other states, or do you usually just stick around closer to home?
1: I I actually I've retired from from bow hunting altogether. Um, <laughs> nice. I'm uh, I'm giving it up. Um, I'm in the process of buying a boat, and I'm just going to go fishing. So. <laughs> well, this podcast no, is um, done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So. I, I am kind of I'm kind of scaling back. I mean, I've I've uh, I've had goals set for myself in terms of, uh, of of what I wanted to accomplish as a hunter, and I've been really fortunate because I've been afforded a lot of time. I've been able to do that, and I really enjoy time spent in the woods. And I'm actually, you know, I'm I'm going to put more time into you know helping friends. I'm, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to spend all my season just out there shooting stuff but I mean one of my favorite things to do is to have close friends come out and hunt with me yeah and seeing them experience that first experience with a, a big bull elk in the field or you know that that shot opportunity that happens um I still like my alone time you know when I'm when I'm kind of in a you know, a mode to kill myself. Um, but, you know, I've got a friend from the Midwest that's coming out this year from Michigan. Um, I think he's, he's hunted elk, you know, maybe once or twice, but never really had any really good encounters, any close encounters. And when he comes out, I'm going to spend a lot of time helping him, but, uh, you know, my, my, my son, he's only two and a half. He may spend a little bit of time in L camp this year, maybe riding in a backpack. It depends on how quiet he can be. <laughs> um, yep. But to have him, you know, experience some of that stuff, you know, the bugling and, and the camp atmosphere. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see, but I, I plan on hunting Montana. Um, I've been, Um, got some new spots that I'm going to be checking out here in Montana. I've got, uh, um, some spots in Idaho that I'll, I'll hunt. Um, and I've got some new spots in Idaho that I'm going to put some time and effort into as well. Um, like I, I, you know, I say this, this is the plan, whether it will be executed or not is, uh, is, is, you know, God willing, (laughs) it'll happen, but um, yeah. You know, I always, I always like to to scout during antelope season in Montana and having the opportunity to hunt that a little bit before elk opens. And then, um, uh, you know, I, I do usually spend a little bit of time hunting, um, mule deer, um, both out of state and in state and with the family, it it just kind of complicates that, you know, I mean. It's, it makes it harder to go away for a long extents of time and of course with my work I have to travel quite a bit and uh um you know, I can't necessarily transition right from road time for work time for me to you know, right to field time. You know, I've gotta come home and be able to hang out with the family because it's it's I don't know. I'm I guess I'm kinda of growing up in that aspect <laughs> of my will we'll tell you that the kids have changed me a little bit and, you know, I used to, you know, and, and I see it in, in a lot of aspects. I mean, I'm a competitive guy. I like to spend time in the field and when it's me out there hunting, I'm it's it's me against the animals and that's, I'm, I'm not trying to compete against any other hunters, you know? And I, I, I enjoy the challenge of it. And I mean, I've, I've, you know, a few years back, I, I, uh, I went, full-blown recurve did a recurve hunt the whole year Um, spent a ton of time building up to that in preparation was proficient with a bow and I I mean I had a bomber season I had I had um, arguably one of the best seasons I've had as a bow hunter with a trad bow so
2: I remember that I remember um, seeing the photos that was amazing
1: yeah and I mean it's it's largely due to the amount of time I was able to spend in the field. Um, you know, at that point, that, that fall with the Tradbow um, was the year before my, my oldest son was born. So I had no kids, zero <laughs> kids. And since he came along, finding that time to shoot, even with the ability to shoot in my backyard um, and, you know the the challenge of getting in really really close. Um, I still want to put time into that, but there there comes a time when you know your limitations. And, and these last few years, I just haven't had the time with traditional equipment. Yeah. So, and it's 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 made it difficult because I mean I've been inside of 20 yards on a couple of mule deer bucks that I stocked up on, and. I had my compound and just basically, you know, been like, you know, had to pinch myself and be like, man, you should have brought, the, you should have brought the recurse. <laughs> what the heck were you thinking? Yeah. So, um, and you know, they're both, they're both equally as, as fulfilling. I mean, I had some, some really emotional kills this last year with, with a compound, you know, to me, emotional. I mean, just, like high anxiety on the stock. I mean I I, uh I played my cards right really well on a nice buck in the in the Badlands this year. Um with a bow and, and I mean it everything that could have gone wrong almost did and then I was prepared for, you know that flaw when it started to unravel and I was able to stop it and I mean, it was just a huge sigh of relief when that buck bounded three times and then tipped over backwards. Yeah, so, yeah, amazing. But and you know, I have my fair share of luck too. I mean, I've I've had plenty of situations where I felt like luck has been in my favor, and you know, I mean, you have to be within that within that you know that range of the of the the prize, so to speak to get lucky i feel like and i think the more consistently you can put yourself within that zone you're gonna have some stuff that goes your way you're gonna have stuff that goes the other way too and it's just kind of the nature of the beast it's hunting still
2: for sure and and uh (laughs) you know obviously you being a resident of, of montana you're you're able to access elk country a lot better uh aside from the time maybe spent in field and being able to put let's say more hours than the average guy that's out here maybe for a week two weeks each fall like what what is what is in your mind do you think is like a big difference because like i i mean with what you do I would classify you as, as one of those killers. You're just consistently getting it done year after year on, on really good bulls, not to mention just any bull, just really good bulls. What do you think is the difference maker? Like what, what do you think sets you apart from the competition or, or just average hunters?
1: I think, I think one of the biggest things is patience. Um, I mean, there's, there's numerous times when, um, when I, I'm, I'm presented with an opportunity and I'll pass on that opportunity because I know if I wait, there'll be a better opportunity on that same bull, mm. you know, as, as just an example, um, if you over pursue and bump an animal, you've basically bumped him out of a, 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 potentially a habit that he's in that where he's fairly predictable. Um, and I think a lot of people overlook this simply because they don't have the time. Yeah. Um, time and patience are the two single biggest factors of being a successful hunter, um, out there. And time can, um, time can, can, I think is even more important than patience because without time, it removes pressure and without pressure you, you almost fall into more patience. So, um, you know, uh, and, and, and actually people are, are, I I feel like they don't realize how much they could learn if they just watched. Mm, Yeah. I like that. If they, if they, if they sat back and they watched and they didn't give those elk a reason to run the other direction, I think your your learning curve you, you start to absorb a lot more of what happens in and around a herd of elk the more time you spend observing. And I think there's a there's a, a critical point within that absorption of information that allows you to to really start to dictate your moves more more calculated, you're more focused. It's not just my goal is to kill that bull. It's, I need to get 15 yards that way or 20 yards that way for that opportunity to happen. And one of the biggest things that I find myself doing and telling myself, and this is, this is, this is a a rule that I kind of live by when I'm in the field is if you, it's a lot easier as a hunter to let the animal make the mistake rather than allow yourself to make the mistake.
2: I like that. I like that a lot.
1: So, um, and that, I mean, that puts you into a, a position where patience is key. Because you can't let the animal make a mistake, mistake if you're making a move. You know what I mean? hmm So, and, you know, another thing is, is I think right now the the rule book on hunting that's out there, is written a certain way and people expect it to happen a certain way. And I, I think if the first thing you need to do is throw that rule book out the window. Yeah. That makes and sense. I, I can, I can attribute that to, to a lot of the success I've had is because I'm not doing it the way I see it on a YouTube video or on TV or, or whatnot. I mean, um, I mean, if I had the ability to spend 65 days a year in the field, I could probably walk around the way you see it done over and over again. And I'm not going to just, you know, point out any particular type of, of, you know, technique or elk hunting style. Um, But if you look at it that way, you know, you're going to try to do it the other way. You need to look at it as a whole. You yeah, know, it's not it's not a right and a wrong way. It's it's the way you you perceive it. To, it should go down versus the way it's it's more more likely gonna go down. And I'm no better hunter than anybody else. I mean, I I, I use calls. I I use spot and stock techniques. I use ambush techniques. And I think the more well rounded of a hunter you can become, the more likely you're gonna be successful. So.
2: I like that. I like that. Well I like I really like the patience thing because I remember my first year, even second year elk hunting, it was always just my forte to just Bomb into the timber and bomb up that mountain, and I got to get to this mm-hmm. meadow, or you know, I got to be to this spot before first light. And I remember many a times bumping bulls out of their beds, either going in and getting too close, or going in, in the dark and and disturbing them. And you learn that you 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 know, sit back, be patient, let things unfold, let them make the mistake, and kind of you know just be a part of the woods and and and, and let yep. things happen for sure i like that all. I like that a lot <clears throat> so uh what uh is, as far as like hunting in in different units y- you mentioned you were going to ch- check out new areas and and kind of trying to learn some new spots is that something that you're always constantly doing or do you try to hit at least maybe one or two new areas each year that could just kind of kind of learn the maybe try to find a new honey hole or you going more back to your your tried and true locations what's the mix there
1: You know I'm I'm always looking for new areas always looking I mean cuz there's nothing better than kind of figuring out an area Yeah you know once you kind of start to to pick it apart to see where the elk like to be you know you 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 learn the age class that it supports you know with the pressure that it has from predators from other hunters you know, from a migration or a, maybe a wintering area, you never know. So, I mean, there's all kinds of variables. But new experiences in new country is always a lot more rewarding. Like if if, if I were to go back and be successful on the same ridge every year, maybe it's a saddle or um, maybe it's a basin, um, You you start to lose your sharpness, I feel like. And one of the ways that, that I like to do that, I'm always looking for new areas. I'm always looking to hunt new areas. Elk are, are elk. And there's a lot of consistencies from area one to area two. And you might see elk do the same thing or, or, you know, move the same way through, through a particular area. And um, there's nothing more rewarding than going into a new area and, and having success. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure them out. I'm always looking and and basically that's, I mean, I'm constantly searching, you know, I've, I've hunted, um, some similar areas the last two years. Um, or no, I take that back last year. I hunted an area I was familiar with the year before that I hunted an area that I was unfamiliar with. Um, the area before that, it was back to the area. One of the areas that I'm, I'm fairly familiar with and, you know, having a, having, you know, you know, like Idaho fairly close for me. I mean, that's always nice because I can experiment in Idaho. And then, you know, if I have an opportunity and I want to capitalize on it, my season isn't over.
2: Not like that. Yeah. And there's
1: nothing, I mean, there's nothing more bittersweet about filling your tag than the end of your elk season. And that's one of the things that I've enjoyed the most is spending the time and putting the effort in. And, uh, you know the the whole you know trophy or success or whatnot. I mean, it's it's more a test match between you and you know the animals and how they they move about. It's it's I don't know, man. It's I've started to appreciate it more. I'm not hunting for anybody else. I'm not I'm not hunting to to be better than anybody. I'm I'm hunting for my own personal enjoyment. You know, the same reason that I really loved to go duck hunting when I was a kid growing up. You know, there's nothing. Cooler than sitting in a you know a a, a small pass on the end of a uh, a, a lake in national forest and hearing ducks coming from behind you to come land in the lake in the morning at first light you know that whistling wing I mean that was so cool to me and and the different things you experience as part of that. Um, it's it's more than an Instagram post to me, I guess. Which is, it seems like it's oh, more, on, and more ben. going that direction.
2: Do it for the gram, man. Come on,
1: right? <laughs> so I saw I saw patches that said that, um, that were made, and I mean, oh god, I should have bought like a stack of them to hand them out to all my friends that <laughs> hand so, them out at ATA, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> or or at one of these these functions that these brand functions it's like you know just yeah it is what it is so (laughs) let's not go down that wormhole
2: today well you're you're doing it for the right reasons and and I admire that there there is a little too much of the showboaty stuff and 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 you just seem like the guy that you truly enjoy it you love the wildlife you love the lands you love the water you love the animals and you just love the experience and that's and that's what it's about and we need more of that for sure there's not enough people doing it for those reasons i feel
1: like yep so
2: that's really cool that's really cool now as far as like finding these new spots this is this is something that you said you kind of maybe hit during a different hunt or you kind of maybe see it when you're driving around um does digital scouting play in any factor to your kind of preseason scouting or trying to find some of these new areas like you hop on google earth or or what's that look like
1: absolutely yeah um you know the, the 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 information that's available to to somebody that's going to be hunting is is ridiculous. I mean, um, you know, and, and not specifically in in any category. Not a not not necessarily an elk or antelope or deer. It's just it's just there. It's it's everywhere. And if you take the time and and put the effort into learning an area, and sometimes it's the little details that separate a, a good area from a great area or a mediocre area sometimes it's it's the simple skyline ridge that prevents you from seeing a lot of territory from the road yeah you wouldn't think it but sometimes that 500 yard walk or that 200 yard walk up to that ridge to glass the basin behind it um prevents people from going in there so and another thing is is people you know have this mindset right now. There's like this backcountry craze going on. And, um, I think it's, it's a little overdone because, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to be at your, your best physically. Cause you wore yourself out on the hike in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, there's just nothing like recharging your batteries around a campfire at night with a, you know, uh, be it what it is, a cocktail, uh, uh, you know, it could be anything. It yeah. could be just the, the camaraderie around, you know, with, with friends. So. I like that. I like that.
2: What, uh, so what do you, what are you looking for in, in these particular areas? I mean, it, it seems like access, maybe, maybe you prefer, maybe not the backcountry. 10 miles in five miles in sort of thing. Maybe you're looking for more day hunt stuff, but, um, what kind of terrain are you looking for? Are you looking for something that maybe is hard to access? You got to cross a river, some, some barrier,
1: uh, are yep. you looking maybe I mean, for a sliver I mean, of
2: think, behind private or what's that look like?
1: Yeah. I mean, those are all things that, that I think are, are key, you know, and hunting boundaries like public, private boundaries is something that I've learned works really well. Um, because it seems like, you know, as as pressure mounts as season progresses, those animals know where they're getting pressured and know where they're not and they they have a tendency to to you know, maybe migrate more the direction where they're not being harassed, which which becomes a big a big deal and you know, if you're proficient, you know, proficient with the equipment that's available to a hunter today, I mean, it's I mean, it's it's endless. So And, um, it's, it's just, it's just good, good form to, to use every tool that's given to you. And and what you got to look at is, you know, let's say you're driving up to that trailhead and you're driving through prime elk country and you get to the trailhead and then you feel like you need to go four miles deep, you know, chances (laughs) are that. You know, you and the, the last 10 guys that drove up to that trailhead thought the same thing. Once you stop, you know, three quarters of a mile before that trailhead, where there's that drainage that nobody ever walks in, that might be full of elk or full of deer. Yeah. I like that. And I think a lot of that is overlooked. You got to kind of think outside the box. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I find myself asking, you know, what, what would the average hunter do? What, what would, uh you know what what would the first 10 guys that drive up this road think like oh got to get to the trailhead so i can get up over on the back side of this mountain that that's in front of me that's you know it's 6 miles to the peak and it's like yeah that that's definitely a good way to do it cuz you're going to you know it's it's not a you know it's not a hiking contest it's a, you know i mean brains before brawn i guess yeah so yeah um and that's that's i mean if anybody knows me and has seen me, it's like, you know, I've had my moments where I've, I've worked out and I've been in really good shape. Um, but it's, it's not, I don't think it's, it's needed to to be successful in the field. Yeah. So I think if you, if you want to, I mean, if, if it's part of your lifestyle and you enjoy it, absolutely. You know, if you, if you, uh, if you're dying to go hike a mountain, and post it on instagram before work go for it you know the same it's the same thing i mean um but um i'm uh i guess i'm i'm fat from from eating elk. i guess i don't know i mean
2: yeah no i i definitely i like that mindset i don't think you have to be the super athlete Um, if you don't want to, like you said, if it's, if that's you, then great, you know, uh, um, embrace that. And, and if that's the type of style hunting you want to do, that's, that's awesome. But like you said, trying to find some of these overlooked areas. And I also had Jared Scheffler on the podcast a couple episodes back. And he, he talks about that, you know, I mean, I would say above anybody, he's, he's one of those guys that just shows up and, and he plays for that day. He's, he's, he's driving around and if he sees an elk, you know, 2 miles below the the parking spot in a open sagebrush uh, meadow that no one had ever think to even look at and there's cars buzzing past I mean he's going to hunt that spot yep. and and that's where the elk are they're just not getting pressured there
1: Exactly so
2: yeah, that's that's my goal for this year is to be able to um, to find a lot more of those because I kind of kind of got introduced to that a little bit last year, especially with some of the it being so dry and hot in Colorado. To, this year is going to be uh, I think a lot different because of how much rain and, and how much food there's going to be in the high country. but I was I was finding some of those spots that were just overlooked and they backed up some to some of these private irrigated farm fields. And those elk were just piling down yep. there at night, you know, and, and for the evening and, and hitting those, uh, the, the green grass. I mean, everything else is burnt up. So uh, just finding some of those spots that are, you know, closer to town or, you know, overlooked, uh, they don't really look elky. They might be sagebrush. So they got some, you know, pinion pines or something. It's not your traditional Aspen, dark timber, you know, steep meadows and stuff like that. But it, they are where they are. Uh, the, that's the bottom line. And you never know where they're going to be.
1: Yep. Exactly. So, um, I mean, and that's, and that's all, all you can do. I mean, control what's controllable Yeah, within, within your, your, your hunts. And, you know, I mean, that, that's a, that's another rule that I, I kind of, you know, I, I, I shouldn't say I live by it, but I take it to heart. It's like, there's, there's only a certain amount of things that's controllable on a hunt. And I mean, hunting, a million and a half things have to go right to to have that opportunity and like i've heard it said before the first the first 90% or 95% of those things are easy the 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 last few things are are the hard parts that's what separates the you know the the people that are successful to the the people that aren't so
2: yeah
1: but that makes sense <clears throat>
2: Now, as far as like other hunter pressure, like, let's say you're, maybe, you know, a unit, maybe you don't, but let's say, you know, that there's other people in that unit. And if, if you think it's like really good elk hunting, will you still go into that unit or or that area and hunt it knowing that there might be another group or two of guys in there? or Are you going to completely avoid that altogether and maybe try to bounce off that and hunt somewhere else because of there's already pressure in that area?
1: well it depends on the unit or or the scenario i mean if i'm if i'm at the top of a a big drainage and there really isn't a lot to be hunting outside of of that drainage and let's say there's there's a vehicle there or two vehicles there or it's a trailhead that goes up a box canyon you know and there's already people up there i mean those kind of scenarios i don't have a, i mean i got i got more than one hunt spot for that reason you know i definitely <laughs> You know, go the other way. But at the same time, it seems like everybody out there, everybody out there, is is reading the same playbook. Mm, yeah, and that's I think another huge tool that separates the, you know, the the consistent killers and the and the hunters that just expect it to happen a certain way. And and I mean, I'm here to tell you that the more tools that you have in your, you know, in your, in your kind of your, uh, your head, the, the better off you're going to be, you know, you, 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 definitely, I mean, I've, I've, I've killed out via spot and stock. I've killed out via calling. I've called in a lot of bulls I've, uh, you know, I've ambushed bulls and I mean, those, those are the three primary versions. And if you can kind of hybridize them even. You know, and 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 I bugle a lot to locate. If you can locate a bull, and then just work slowly, you know, slow and steady through a particular area, chances are you may you may run into you know the right the right bull, the right time, and and be able to rip off a bugle and, and bugle that bull in. Well, maybe if the wind is slightly wrong, you don't want to give away your position because that bull is going to know he just has to go up. You know, downwind and around to the downwind side of where you're at, and it's 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 things like that. You know, I mean, animals are have a a, a very specific skill set, and they know how to, you know, dictate their movements in the woods to to survive, and that's what their their goal is to breed. You know, eat, sleep, and survive. So, if you think of it that way, you simplify it. You think, well my wind's kind of quartering toward that bull maybe he'll come straight in no they're never going to come straight in you know unless you're hunting like the 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 Barnon Ranch in Montana or you know some you know highly prized piece of private land where the elk never get harassed by hunters you know that's what you see on the on the on some of like the old videos like the Primos or like you yeah. know stuff like that those bulls are are basically I mean they're farm raised. They might as well be, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they're not. They're still wild animals, but yeah. they just don't have the I mean, a bull on public land. You got to look at it this way. A bull on public land probably is called to in a in a high pressure area every day.
2: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: And you got to think by day 5 of that season or day 10 of that season what is he what's going through that bull's head on on that day? It's like, oh he he, he wants to fight, you know, you definitely hit little windows within that the cycle of the rut and the the assertion phase of dominance. Or, you know, you have those scenarios where you have a bull that's moved, you know, six miles away overnight and he's in a new area and you know say he beat up the last six bulls he fought right or he postured off or he bugled off um that bull probably is pretty callable in that scenario but you don't know that and when you're when you're hunting high pressure i think you're going to call a lot of bulls that don't have a lot of that experience in, even if it's just to check it out you know I think I think a lot of the bulls that I see, and I'm not saying calling is bad because I've called in bulls I've, I've done it successfully a number of times. Um, it's just learning that interaction, learning how it works, you know the, the probably the average bull that's killed by a uh, you know somebody calling it in is is probably a two and a half year old bull you know
2: yeah yeah, they're just I mean not educated yet.
1: <laughs> granted, you definitely can call. Big bulls in, and I've I, I mean I've I've had success at that too. But it's it's the right scenario, the right time. Um, you know, it's everybody's that's hunted elk a number of years has probably been in one of those situations where the her, the herd two herds run together, and you got bulls screaming, and they're trying to sort everything out. You got satellite bulls going, and it's just a means of getting in close, staying concealed and you know preventing your wind from drifting into the herd and then maybe it's that one bugle and all it takes you know and yeah. i I had a buddy of mine out with me last year and that's that's what the scenario was sam Solholt. holt um he's a he's a public land advocacy guy he's got that public land bus that a lot of people follow him he came out with me last year into one of my camps and Um, it was exactly that. I mean, we had a bunch of bulls that were just screaming their heads off and it was in the morning and and they were, they were sorting out the details as they were heading back to bed. And there was this one bull that was considerably larger than the rest. And it was probably 25 to 30 cows and probably seven or eight bulls. wow, And it was just constant. And, Um, we let them, I kind of had a a figure on the direction they were going and I said, let's get down here. I think they'll go down here. Our wind will be good here because it's low and it's, there's cold water that flows down this basin from Springs all year round. So, and, and there wasn't much for wind that day. And, um, we got down there and we were hoping to intercept. We were, we were pulling the ambush card and, uh, It came to the point in the morning where the the elk were comfortable. They hadn't been harassed. We'd listen to them for two and a half hours bugling. And we were in a good position. And they bedded. And uh, one thing that I've learned with calling, especially in high-pressure areas, is that when you call elk that are on their feet, they're a lot more likely to, to go the other way than come toward you. But if you can... If you can stay on the edge of the herd, let them settle down, and you get that occasional like, "Hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still here. the king of this herd." Bugle yeah. from the bull. That's that's kind of running that group of cows. If those cows bed down, you put yourself in a position with that bull to really call him in. Because if his cows are bedded, if his lead cow and and some of the more matriarchal cows in that group are bedded down. And you're patient in that situation and let them bed down without a single peep, they're gonna be comfortable, they're gonna bed down. And if you if you bugle and are in the right position, that bull will come on a string. Really? And that's what that bull did for Sam last year. I said, It's it's nine thirty in the morning. We've had eyes on this bull since six thirty. Um now we're like in his bedroom. He's, he's bugled probably six or seven times from 100, 150 yards away. I'm like, you slide on the downwind side of this hill towards him, but stay downwind, and I'm going to go upwind. You know, our, I mean, me looking at the bull, the wind is coming from left to right, kind of angling at me. So he slid downwind, I slid upwind, and that bull basically, I bugled, he bugled back from a bed. You could tell because it was kind of like a half ass bugle.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, he wasn't in a good lung volume position to really give it a strong bugle. And I, I moved a little. I broke a couple sticks. I started raking a tree, and that bull just came walking in on a string right by Sam, like 18, 20 yards.
2: Yeah. And he was That's... able to,
1: to make the shot. Um, that that whole video, um, he, he, he recently uploaded the video. I think it's... Onyx is, is hosting it um, on their YouTube page. And I mean, I don't take credit for that, Han, or anything like that. It wouldn't have happened if, if Sam wouldn't have made a shot and everything like that. But, I mean, just learning how that scenario breaks down, that's a little bit of the detail and the story that's behind that um, that interaction. And, and it's, it's utilizing patience you know, maybe a stalking skill set first, because you're a lot less likely to bump animals with that hunting technique. Um, And then we actually use the calling aspect as a last resort because our, uh, basically the, the, the elk had started to bed and get comfortable for the day. They were out of the, the heat, they were in the shade and they just didn't quite make it up onto the face that we were on far enough. They were bedded on our, on our bench and the shot was made and i mean the bull died right there i mean it was it was pretty cool that's so cool uh check that video out i mean it's it's uh it's it's pretty cool so
2: i definitely will that's that sounds badass i i actually had kind of a similar scenario last year when um dan johnson from nine finger chronicles and his buddy ryan came out on the very first day we 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 basically had a bull bedded up on this ridge and I knew he was bedded because he'd an- he'd answer us like every time I'd throw out a bugle, but he, he just wasn't moving. You know, it was like kinda late afternoon and and we kinda pushed in to the dark timber. I could tell he was up on this ridge or on some sort of flatter point up above us, so we pushed in I got him set up in this in this meadow and uh I just backed down the hill and I started raking branches cow calling bugling and, and that bull finally just had enough. And he, he finally got up and came down and was going to kick somebody's ass. And, uh, (laughs) Ryan, Ryan ended up shooting him, um, hit him in the shoulder. We didn't end up finding the bull, but it was just a, it was just a really cool scenario to see all that unfold and like to be in that position because that was really my first time really calling in and interacting with a bowl like that. Mm-hmm. And that and was something so yep. special. It was so cool. Most of the time I, I'm a silent guy. I'll, I'll, I do some calling, but like if I can get in without, um, without calling and uh, without alerting them there, just cause I know it's public land, it's over the counter, they're getting hit hard. Like I'm just going to move in silent. That's most of my strategy. But last year was different in that particular scenario. And it was really, really cool.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's one of those things when you start to see stuff work, it makes you want to kind of throw it out there all the time. And there's nothing more satisfying than interacting and fooling an elk speaking his language, you know, so to speak. And, um, I mean, I think that's why it's such a, uh, it has such a heavy influence on technique and, you know, that, that proverbial playbook that everybody uses, you know, Mm -hmm. because it is, it is the most rewarding, but, you know at the same time stalking one is pretty cool getting in close is is a lot of fun um without that animal knowing you're there um you know i mean i'll say this i, I mean elk are elk are kind of remind me of cattle when it comes to how well they're in tune with their surroundings yeah you know i I've sharpened most of my spot and stock skills on, on animals like antelope and mule deer and a lot of times early in the year when I'm hunting those those antelope uh, it reminds me of how important it is to you know stay out of sight and everything else and and you know you, you i mean one one of the one of the bigger bulls that I've killed um, came out on a hill across a draw for me that was all sagebrush all the way down the hill with Sage, all the way up the other hill with Sage. Um, only about 30% of my approach on that bull was behind something, like a bush or a uh, like a juniper or something like that.
2: You're pretty open. And
1: I was able to just slowly walk right at him. And every time he would hold still, I would stop. If he was if he was preoccupied feeding or drinking or whatever it was he was doing, I would I would slowly you know one step at a time, and I I got in and I got into like forty five or fifty yards of that bull and um, you know that was I mean that was like a three forty big six by six had never seen that bull before had scouted heavily in the area he just showed up started running this herd of cows and he, he pulled himself out of the herd to, to drop down into the draw on water. And, um, I mean, that was super cool. I mean, I remember that stuff vividly in my, in my head. And that's the thing is, 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 you know, the more your, your skills are honed in different categories, the more you're, you're, you're gonna capitalize on that opportunity, you know? And, um, you know, you, you, it, it's amazing. You, you, what, what you get away with and, you know, an antelope sees you blink at, at 75 yards while you're trying to stock one and they're running the other way at a hundred miles. An
2: hour. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, and, and if you start to see that, you know, you always want to push that envelope and that was one of those things. It was kind of a make or break. It was a fairly aggressive move on my part, but having that experience from, from, you know hunting that way before really made it work
0: yeah i I uh, found I found that species. you
2: can get away you can get away with a little bit more if if they're not if they're not already on you if they're not alert if they're not already if oh, yeah. not already busted yep. um uh, but if if they're feeding or like you know I've had the same scenario I've had a couple bulls out in the middle of a field and and just the amount of movement that you can get away with they're just not as wired you know most people I think heading west they're from the midwest they're they're hunting whitetails and everyone knows how wiry those are and and they're just in tune to every little thing especially in these you know michigan pennsylvania those states where they're constantly getting hunted but um elk it's just they're bigger animals it just doesn't seem like they're as in tune with their surroundings and maybe some of that's just to do with their their herd animals and their kind of uc movement but they just you can get away with a lot more i think for sure
1: yep yeah absolutely so
2: now what's what's your strategy Do do you change it up from early season to the rut like as far as maybe what you're doing uh do you ever sit any like water holes are you doing any like stationary overlooking meadows just ambush stuff in the early season then you kind of more interactive calling more towards the rut what's your take there
1: you know uh depending on the country i'm in i mean i hunted some some of the breaks um In 2018, no, 2017, and the breaks of of Montana are you know rugged in the sense that it's it's a lot of ups and downs, a lot of deep ravines and coulees. It's it's different from the mountains in the fact that it gets a lot hotter, Um, and water becomes a, a something to take into uh, consideration because the mountains of Montana, uh, every draw typically has water running down it. Mm. You know, it's 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 not a, a, as precious a resource as it is out in the plains in in the the breaks country. And I did, I, I have utilized some ambush locations. I, I've had some some really good bulls come by me on on water holes, and I've had some good friends kill really nice bulls on water. But you know, every scenario being different. You know, if you have an area that doesn't have much for water for several miles and then three drainages in a row that have water, the elk probably aren't going to hang out where there's no water where they can be over in the, the other drainages that have water. Because, you know, elk are big animals. They need water. It's, it's, not, it's not something that's just not around. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... Yeah. It's 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 critical to their survival and if if the feed is there in those other areas, they have really no reason to be in areas where there's no water. So I mean you know, you take it as it is. You get down to states like Arizona and New Mexico and it's it's kind of the opposite. It's like the water is the holy grail for everything in certain yeah, areas. desert. So and you know i'm not sure what you know i i have hunted colorado a couple times but it's been several years and what i remember is is big bounds you know big drainages with with water running down almost every one so
2: yeah yeah
1: yo. unless you unless you get on like a really high mountain plateau or something like that that you know has all the right ingredients with limited water i mean that would be a scenario where water would be key but that's about it
2: yeah 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 now uh, ben i just want to like I want you to maybe walk us through and envision and and give us like maybe a a good synopsis of maybe like one of your just locations that you've had success in the past or areas that you're familiar with and, and describe the terrain and, and like, why, why are these elk there? What type of terrain are they in? Why do you like this spot? Why have you had success there? Like, what's just give us maybe like one scenario or one area where like this is why these elk are there. This is why it's
1: such a good location. You know, and it's it, it's heavily uh, influenced by I guess your hunting style too. I mean, I personally really enjoy sitting behind glass and looking long distances over over lots of terrain mm. because your chances of seeing cool critters is always different you know it's out. It's you never know what you're going to see it could be a mountain lion it could be a bear it could be a, a wolf you know whatnot so i mean yeah. i i look for for those type of areas but i mean i can say from a success standpoint i've killed i've killed equally as many bulls in in heavily timbered areas as i have in you know more open areas and the reason i like open is because it it, it allows you to utilize some of the skill set like stalking and stuff like that. It, it kind of it opens up more opportunity. Yeah. You know, when you're hunting heavily timbered areas, it's awesome. You you get that interaction, but on those days when there's no elk calling, uh, no elk bugling, I mean, you get kind of discouraged. And and having a positive attitude about a particular hunt is is I think critical to being successful too if you're being negative and and you're there for the, you know, the only reason you're there is to kill, to fill your tag, you're, you're not, you're never going to enjoy it.
2: Yeah.
1: You're going to be working against yourself. And I think if you, if you learn to embrace and enjoy the, you know, the, what, what goes into the hunt, the pursuit, and then, you know, at the end, the payoff, of a of a of a filled tag is the benefit of a full freezer all that stuff is great but you know i i've i've packed tags home i mean everybody has and i'm not discouraged by it i'm you know maybe around this time of year when i go on the in the freezer and i'm digging around trying to find an elk steak it might (laughs) kind of make me crabby but i mean oh yeah all in all it's it's uh it's just one of those things. It's it's tough to it's tough to say that there's there's a better area or a worse area. I like the glass, but a lot of guys you know would prefer. And I, and I think you have the you know the opportunity to kill bigger bulls in more timbered areas because sometimes that little bit of extra motivation that's provided by that giant bull um, that you that you don't see. You know, where, whereas a visible bull, a big six point that's 350, that gets seen by ten guys, oh yeah, there's a 350 bull in that drainage. You should you should hunt it hard. Yeah, because he's in there somewhere, and you're not going to kill him unless you're hunting it. Well, in those timbered areas, you you can't always tell what's there, and I think you have a better opportunity to kill a big bull because you don't know what's there, and there there can't be a guy on the ridge glassing down to that bull. You know what I mean?
2: Sense. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's where, I,
1: where I'm at, so. where I do
2: a lot of hunting. You just you just can't do a ton of, of glassing unless it's way up at tree line or something, you know? Like, most just the way that the, the terrain lays out, and I think that's why it keeps a lot of people from, from going there. It's rugged as hell, uh, for sure, but, like, it just it's just not conducive to a lot of glassing, and I'm trying to, and I love that spot, but I'm just trying to find some other areas that, I can get back and, and get behind the glass. I just picked up a new spotter and I, I, I really look forward mm-hmm. to using that, um, you know, and trying to, trying to learn some of these different drainages and, and areas. But, uh, uh, like you said, there's, there's a million ways to skin a cat and, and you can, <laughs> you can find them anywhere almost. It seems like. Yeah. What's, what's your take on, what's your take on the full moon? Does that affect your hunting? Like, do you find them just more active at night? So maybe you got to catch them earlier or in the evening or, yeah, you know,
1: absolutely. I mean, it definitely changes the pattern a little bit. Um, but I, I always try to be, you know, look at the positives, look at the positive side of this. So, um, when it comes to locating bulls, you know, chances of, of bulls being vocal at night are much, much higher When there's a full moon, it seems like, I mean, you get a lot more socialization interaction that's occurring after legal hunting hours. Um, so finding elk is, I think it it helps in the, in the regard to that. So if, if you're hunting in a wilderness camp and you hike up to a high point at night to listen for maybe the, the last couple hours of the night or the, the first two or three hours in the morning, um, you're gonna know where you need to go. You're gonna know what direction you need to go in, and and it, it it almost it's it's kind of like giving you the ability to glass because if you can you can hear a bull, um, chances are with a set set of ten by forty twos you could probably see one, and it just it just extends that scouting time that you're able to 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 hear that stuff. And when I'm hunting in full moon, a lot of times I'll I'll maybe make an effort to put myself in a in a better position to hear more than one drainage listen wise at night um and that's that's always beneficial because you know you're not going to kill an elk where you don't know there's elk and and elk are where they're going to be right oh yeah so you 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 really have i mean you you're stricken to following where they go and if you don't know where they are i mean you don't have a game plan I mean, you can, you can continue to check different areas until you run into them, but that bugle is key to learning where they're at. And I think that's, that's often, and then you gotta, you gotta hunt smart and hunt right because you don't want to just bomb down into the basin and blow everything out of there. If they're, if they're low enough, chances are you're going to get big wind swirls in there and, and you're just going to blow them out. But if weather patterns change, you know, from morning to evening, and it's more predictable. If it's going to be calm, you're going to have thermals. And if you look at it that way, use those things to your advantage and work in and work downwind, maybe right around the time that those elk are going to start to be getting out of beds and and moving around. And you put yourself close as an animal starts to kind of get up and meander around and move around. You're, you're that much closer to being successful. And I think the patience part of it becomes key. So, um, that's constantly what I'm always doing. I'm always looking for where elk are, either I can hear them or I can see them, whatever I can do to to find out where they are. Because if I drop into drainage A and I have no clue that they're in there or drainage B and they have no clue that they're in there, I can, um, you know, put the time into the right drainage, the right area, because I'm not going to be successful if I'm hunting in a drainage that doesn't have elk.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, that's a big part of, uh, you know, having Jared Scheffler on the show too. It's just like he plays for that day and he's very visual on, on knowing that there is elk to go after, you know, he's made a lot of mm-hmm. rookie mistakes and we all have just, like I said, bombing into an area and you wear yourself out, you end up blowing stuff out or there's nothing there to even be seen. And and if you really just step back and, and look and watch and listen, Use all those those tactics. You you can put the odds in your favor, and you're you're more efficient, and you're just having increased odds of, of success, which is which is huge. It's everything in in elk any hunting, but elk hunting in particular.
1: Yep, yep, exactly.
2: Well, what I'm hearing mm-hmm. from you, Ben, is so, like just a, just a synopsis on everything. Is 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 really the patience, and and that's a learned a learned skill and and also just it, it seems like you're a you're like the mass you're, you're like the seasoned uh business consultant you know <laughs> that that you can come into an organization and, and you've got a solution for this problem you got a solution for that problem you have got a you know a way to to tackle that and it just it seems like you you've you've been in the game long enough you know what you're doing you've got a you've got a tactic and you've got a tool for every little thing that's get getting thrown your way and I think that's what we're all striving for but with with you talking about yeah. that and, and and really learning that I think that's that's what I'm taking away from all of
1: this yeah and it's it's not something that came to me overnight it's not like I was born a, a successful elk hunter I mean you gotta you gotta have patience you got to be able to put time in and effort in I mean I i, I was thinking about it um the other day and I mean, I've had seasons where I've struggled. I mean, everybody struggles. I'm not, I'm not, you know, flawless in in my my elk tag cutting execution. Um, and and people got to realize that you're not going to be good at it until you spend a lot of time doing it. And that's kind of, I mean, I've hit a point where I've kind of figured a couple things out, and I've made some really big strides in in my technique and how I look at situations. And um, I think. I've, I've hunted elk 11 years and I think I've, I've taken nine elk. Wow. So,
2: Impressive. Um, Seriously.
1: Yeah. And, and I have had, I've had a couple seasons. I've had one season where I, I doubled and, um, so I mean my first year were like every other year, my first year I came to Montana, I killed. And then I think the next year or maybe two, I didn't. And then, um, and then I killed the following year and I killed the next year. And then, I mean, it's been like six or I think six years in a row now I'm going on. So, um, and it's, I mean, it's, it's not going to happen every time. I mean, the way you're going to, you're going to be successful is time. Um, I, I figure I have probably 15 days of hunting in per bull that I've killed. So it's it's not like it's an, an overnight deal, but I've spent a lot of time and you know sacrificed a lot of vacation time from work during elk season to be better at it. And um, it's 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 a it's a calculated structure. I've I figured it out, and I I think that the the time thing is 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 most important, and the second thing is is um, is the time that I'm able to spend. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, this is all good stuff, Dan. This is uh, this has got me just my head spinning a million miles an hour. I can't wait to start checking out some new areas and <laughs> and start diving Definitely. into the season. This has really got me uh, jacked yeah, up. Yeah, it's,
1: it's right for, before season really oh, starts yeah. too. So it's, um, I mean, guys are starting to kind of get the itch and thinking about getting cameras out. So hopefully, I motivate some guys to to put some some good effort in. And man, I mean, I mean. Scouting is, is the most important thing I feel like when it comes to, um, you know, putting an animal down and I think the more time you scout and that's the other thing is, is scouting is experience too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the more, the more time you spend scouting, scouting is key to me and it's, it's been critical to my success. And um, I think if you, if you wait till, you know, a week before season and start scouting, I mean, it helps. But not to the extent of actually putting boots on the ground in the areas you plan on hunting. So yeah,
2: yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, all good stuff, Ben. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. We'll have to have you back on for some sort of follow-up episode at some point, just to tell us yeah. a good elk story and and uh, <laughs> get into some further Definitely. rabbit holes. But I've really enjoyed this. This has been great, and I uh, really look forward. No, to Adam, it next time. I
1: appreciate you having me on. Thanks for thanks for reaching out. It was. uh, It
2: was fun. Yeah, yeah, anytime. We'll do it again soon. All right, and there it is, another episode in the books. Big thanks to Ben for coming on the show. I really enjoyed that. That was a great episode, and I hope you guys uh, took a lot of things away from that as well. It just seems like Ben ben just really knows how to get it done that's all i can say and uh, you know hopefully you can apply some of what he does to your hunts coming up here in just a few weeks so again hope you hope you guys enjoyed that and we'll, we'll try to keep content like that coming down the line um you know as we dive further into hunting season so uh if you are headed out to colorado here in a couple weeks make sure you go to transitionwild.com. Subscribe and I will send you the Colorado Beginner Elk Hunting Guide for free. So, if you need some last minute advice, tips, uh, you know, scouting information, all that stuff, go to transitionwild.com and get yourself the Colorado Beginner Elk Hunting Guide. Lots of good information in there uh, for new and, you know, seasoned hunters. So, go check it out. All right, I appreciate you guys being with me on, on this episode. Thanks again to our sponsors, Expedition Archery, Skull Brew Coffee, and Outdoor Edge Knives. Again, appreciate you so much. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you soon.